There's no way for me to discuss this episode without speaking negatively about it. I'm just going to open with that because I want to make that very clear and very abundant that I'm going to speak negatively about this episode. I don't want any misconceptions about it, okay? Okay. <clears throat> so this episode... Uh, it's garbage and I hate it. No. Um, this episode's interesting to analyze for me. I've decided not to go over every little nitpick, but I have decided to bring out each of the big nitpicks. Um, like, I, for example, I could point out little nitpicks like, oh, I don't know, um, the fact that Picard gives Troy a direct order to stay here, and then she immediately leaves, but then she comes back later, you know. Or I could give nitpicks about the fact that the shuttle bay shouldn't be showing what it is, or the fact that the tractor beam, when it goes to grab the shuttle outside, comes from a place that makes no sense. And the orientation of the ship versus the shuttlecraft makes no sense. You know, I, I could nitpick that, that kind of thing. It's not like I don't notice those little details. But ultimately, those are a factor of presentation to me, Right? The really big nitpicks, the things that are really worth talking about for me, are the things that actively start pulling me out of the episode. In general, if you have a well-scripted, tightly done episode that has bad effects, I'm more into that than a poorly scripted, poorly present, uh, poorly executed script, or poorly designed script, which has good presentation. Now, there's also some in-between and some middle ground there, because I'm actually really big on presentation, I've said many times, especially when it comes to video games, that a very well-presented video game that's otherwise lackluster will nevertheless shine for me because of that presentation value. But, I don't know. Maybe, someone actually brought up recently that I'm, I seem to be more critical about Star Trek than I am about most of the movies I cover. And I wonder if that's actually true. And I don't, I don't mean to accuse that person of lying. What I mean is I don't know if that's true or not. I have no idea if I'm more critical or less or just the same. If I were to hypothesize on myself, I would say that I am more critical of Star Trek because I care more. One of those great truths about humanity that a lot of people seem to forget about in my experience is that we don't critique or nitpick or gush or rage or whatever because we don't care. We, in fact, specifically do that because we care. It's, this is one of the oldest concepts around. Why do you think so much of comedy revolves around family and loved ones? It's because it is that necessary factor of both experience and significance that makes us put the extra effort into trying to divulge into it, analyze it, discuss it, and in general, be more in-depth about it. So it is entirely possible I am less willing to put up with crap in Star Trek because I love Star Trek. Even though I have been told I hate Star Trek several times, uh, strangely enough, I do in fact still enjoy Star Trek a great deal. Which brings me to this episode. This is a Maurice Hurley episode. And all of this talk has been kind of my way to meander around to a point, and that point is that this episode feels amateur. Not just the effects problems. That's all nitpicks. No, I'm talking about, like, picks, like real problems. There are too many parts of this episode where tell, not show is being done, even when it's not necessary, and then events happen because, well, we needed something to happen that way. Like, no logical progression. Now, it is worth noting this episode got a fairly last-minute rewrite. Originally, this was going to be a Q episode... Yes, really. In fact, this was going to be part of a lead-up into Q-Who. Now, when I say originally, I should 
I should take a step back here, because as we all know, and as I discussed, all of Season 2 was originally supposed to be one massive story arc about the Borg, with Q popping in here and there. This is after that was torpedoed. I mean, that was torpedoed back during Season 1. So this now that that dream is gone and burnt, and we won't have a contiguous Star Trek until Season 3 of Enterprise, which is, I don't even know how many years later after this point. Instead, we were going to have this little mini-arc of Q. And it's like, okay. And the whole idea was that Q was basically just messing with them. Now... I, I, before I go anywhere further, I am curious what you think of that idea. Uh, legitimately. If at the end of this episode they warp to the center of the vortex and then Q's there and he's like, Oh, I thought you'd never figure it out. It's just a little calling card of mine. Don't mind me. I'll be around. And then, you know, he vanishes or whatever after a little bit more banter. Would that have made the episode better or worse for you? And I'm asking sincerely, because near as I can tell, the structure of most of the rest of the episode would not have changed based on the inclusion or absence of Q. Now, I mean, it's always nice to see more John DeLancey, but does that really make the episode better for you? Because after some serious thought, I don't think it does for me. It once again brings me to mind of what I said earlier, that amateur thing. It's a neat idea, but now what, right? (laughs) I mean, neat ideas are neat, but you need to do something with them. You need to go somewhere with it. It's like, oh, it was Q all along. <gasps> Why? Why Why was it Q? What was it Q? Where was it going with that, right? You need to have something more than just, ah, it was me, right? It was the butler. I knew it. Um, and so for once, I'm actually... <laughs> Very rare times. I'm actually with Roddenberry's, uh, shall we call it, executive meddling, because Roddenberry effectively torpedoed that entire idea and said, nope. And the funniest thing is, I'm not sure why. Like, I was never actually able to determine why. Anyways, there there is one other thing in this episode, completely regardless of Q, that I do find to be a fascinating idea and that they do actually do something with. This is why I'm not willing to call this a particularly bad episode. I've seen much worse than this in Trek. Uh, just last week, actually. Um, it's it, it's just amateur. There's this great idea of the six-hour skip. Now, a later episode would do a much better job of this same concept in both the tightness of the script and the execution of the premise. Uh, that would be... Oh, God, I can never think of the name of it. It's one of my favorite Star Trek episodes, and I can never think of the name of it. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. I love that episode. It's the same general premise, or at least it starts from the same launch point, which is, what if we time-traveled just a little bit? Like hours instead of years or centuries? Because it's a valid point. In science fiction, usually when time travel is employed, it's for nice big jumps, right? Hell, that's true even in fantasy. Oh, we're going to go back 10,000 years or 24 years or whatever. What if you just went back six hours? And I also feel like the episode, this episode, Time Squared, is supposed to be an analysis of Picard as a character. I say that because... I have no better way to put this. I realized at like the 30-minute mark, as I was jotting down notes, I'm like, wait a minute, they just keep focusing on Picard and how he's dealing with this crisis. Oh god, this is supposed to be a Picard-centric episode, isn't it? And if anyone else feels that it really has accomplished this, that's awesome. And I will speak positively about the Picard experience later. The Picard experience. (laughs) 
just, <laughs> it just sounds weird, doesn't it? Um, knowing how he was in his cadet days, I would make sense if they actually called it that. But no, 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 no. Um, but I really do feel like the episode... It's like someone wanted it to be A and had no idea how to do that. So they put up a bunch of signposts that say A, right? Let's get on with the episode. So as I mentioned, uh, there are actually genuinely great moments in this episode. And one of them is the very first scene. In my opinion, the first scene is great. And I mean that with total sincerity. It is Riker, Pulaski, Worf, Geordi, and Data just sitting down cooking some breakfast. Just chatting, having a little bit of camaraderie, a little bit of exposition. In fact, this helps to set up the Icarus Factor, which is the very next episode, which I don't think I've ever noticed that before. But, you know, talking about cooking, talking about breaking bread and commonalities, and I don't know, it's just a nice warm scene with some good actors who have some good chemistry. And as usual, Pulaski is actually fine here. Again, the more I see of her, the more I'm actually warming up to her. It's really weird. I really wish the child didn't exist, because then I might never have disliked her, <laughs> you know? Anyways, getting up topic. So, <clears throat> it's a good scene, and um, it's what I like to call filler rather than padding. I'm, I, I'm using the wrong term here. Um, Flavor, sorry. Flavor rather than filler. There we go. Let's put that correctly because padding is usually what I use to refer to video game concept. But padding and filler are effectively the same thing. That's why I was screwing that up. I apologize. Flavor. I've talked about this before in TNG, I believe, but I know I have definitely talked about this over in Voyager. Sometimes an episode needs a few extra minutes. Sometimes you just don't have enough story to fill out the full 44 or whatever, right? So sometimes you just add another scene there. Now, a bad episode will add filler, which is a waste. And that is pretty much the definition of, of filler. It is greasy fat that has been slapped on top of the burger to make it look bigger. And nothing else. Doesn't add to the flavor. Doesn't add to the characters. Doesn't add to the setting. It's just there to waste your time. Um, uh, the fight over on Voyager, is is probably one of the most textbook examples of filler I can think of in Star Trek. Flavor, by contrast, is when you use that extra time to add something, not probably not to the episode itself, but just an, a little extra nuance. That's why I call it flavoring. There's a little seasoning in order to help us care more about the setting or the characters or the themes or something, something to help flesh out the, the overall work. And I feel like the the lot of them just sitting down and having breakfast accomplishes that very well. It's not like the best example of that ever. But interestingly enough, by memory, and we'll see how true this is over the coming years, TNG's usually pretty good about flavor over filler. We'll see as we go. So, um, I'm, I'm going to skip over this next part, and it'll be obvious why in a second. So they've got the shuttle. It's like, oh my god, it's the other shuttle. And then they reveal that it's, it's oh my god, it's our shuttle. Holy crap, because they're the other shuttle, which is supposed to be it, is right across the way. Holy crap. Um, based on the way they present it, I really would have liked it better if this had been written better. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me explain what I mean by that. We find out later that things are working basically in opposite. You know, a, a, a stimulant 
stimulant functions as a sedative and vice versa. We need to reverse the polarity on the, the leads in order to access the shuttlecraft, etc. Now, that concept is never explained and is basically makes no sense. However, if they had really gone with that and written that out properly, they could have built up to that point and made it far more interesting of a reveal and made it part of the mystery, for example. And, and trust me, I'm building up to a point here. Right off the beginning, they just, oh my god, here's the shuttle. And then they open it up, and then there's Picard. Now, in my opinion, that is one of the biggest flaws of the episode right there. It's at the... Uh, I didn't I didn't write down the time. It's very quick. <laughs> it's very early in the episode. They're like, oh my god, Picard's right there. And the problem is, the shuttle moment is a great moment. Like, they look down at the shuttle, and then they look up at the shuttle. You know, there's there's the two copies of it. Now, the problem is they take way too long. They're like, well, but how could this be here? And it's right here, but it's right there, and it's right there. And it takes way too long, but ignoring that little nitpick, I like the mystery of we have our own shuttle here twice. Don't need anything else there. That mystery is plenty to digest, to just chew on for a little bit. But that mystery is immediately torpedoed because the other Picard is in there which immediately trumps it by virtue of not only its, its personal nature, but the, the presentation and the music score and everything else. It's like, okay, we've got another shuttle. Oh, my God, we've got another Picard and just the other Picard. Da -na -na -na. And then at the 16-minute mark, we find out that it's from six hours in the future. Let me make this very clear. All of the mystery elements of this episode are torpedoed right about by the 16-minute mark. That's what I mean while I feel this is one of the biggest flaws of the episode. Because most of the rest of the episode... I have actually quite a few notes up to the 16-minute mark. I haven't even covered all my stuff I want to talk about yet. And then I have one, two, three, four, five, six notes for the entire rest of the episode. Because the episode just meanders from that point onward. This is why I call this amateur writing. In fact, it is my belief, although I have no proof of this, that this is an example of one of the things I've talked about many times before, and that is rushing to get to the good stuff. It's one of the hardest things to avoid as a writer. I know that personally. I'm sure most of you do as well if you've dabbled in writing. You think, well, I want to write this story, but right here's the really awesome part. And so what a lot of writers do will basically write, and then they just get right to the awesome part. But because it has no build-up, no establishment, no development, it doesn't have the same oomph that it should, and it is no longer the awesome part. It's just the first event, right? And I feel that's what happened here. He had this great idea and this great build-up, and bam! There's the shuttle, and bam! There's Picard, and bam! They're from the future, and... Oh, God, I got like 30 minutes left. Um... Uh... So... I know, let's talk about Picard, right? So let's rewind a bit, because I do have other things to talk about earlier on. So, Picard's reaction to the other him is actually pretty great. I, I, I know this sounds weird, but I'm a big fan of Patrick Stewart. And he is the kind of guy who can do pretty good stuff, even with a pretty bad script. This episode is a very good example of that. Because he does a lot of facial acting, which... I admit I'm a huge fan of. I'm, I'm a big on facial acting. And so the way he looks at the other him, 
the way his voice alters when he looks at him, the, the way he, every time he interacts with him, he go, he just becomes noticeably colder and gruffer, like he's just clamping down and you can just feel him. You can actually feel his gritting his teeth for several scenes in this episode. It's great stuff. But I'm reminded of the episode Up the Long Ladder, which actually hasn't come out uh, yet. We're not there yet. It's later in season two. But for those of you who don't remember, Up the Long Ladder is, by memory, a bad episode, which happens to involve cloning. Now, Riker, when he saw that he and Pulaski were cloned, spoiler alert, shot the clones. Pretty much as an automatic reaction, too. It makes me wonder if that's just kind of how the people are supposed to be presented in this era. Like, there shouldn't be another me? Die! This is especially telling since Picard later kills his other himself, though I will get to that point later. I also am bothered by how much Troy insists that that is the real Picard. That is the super regular, that's definitely Picard. Even though I actually completely disagree. I see absolutely nothing about Picard 2, I'm just going to call him that from now on, that indicates that he is in any way Picard other than the fact that he happens to be played by the same actor. And I mean that with sincerity. I would love to hear, as ever, your guys' thoughts on this point. Because he, obviously he never really finishes syncing up, so that may be part of the problem. But that is, of course, my point. He never demonstrates anything that indicates that he is Picard. And yet Troy is constantly, like three or four times in this episode, insists, no, this is definitely him. This is the real Picard. This is definitely real Picard. Real Picard. Real, 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 real. No. (laughs) This is another example of telling rather than showing. It would have been far more interesting if they had done something with Picard, too, and had him act in a way like Picard so that we might actually believe he's Picard instead of having Troy basically turn to the camera and say, This is Picard! Which brings me to my next point. So, Dennis McCarthy's music is... weird. Now, I'm actually not a big fan of Dennis McCarthy. No offense to the man, I'm just not a fan of him, right? I do think he does a good job with this episode. I just think it's too obvious. There's too many times when there's music that plays that's basically, creepy stuff is happening. And it doesn't sound like creepy music. It sounds like there's something wrong with the orchestra. Now that gets across the point. You know, it does sound creepy. But it doesn't sound creepy, which I know I'm explaining myself horribly here. In other words, it sounds wrong. Like, someone literally screwed up the music rather than sounding appropriately uh, thematic or demonstrative or whatever. My opinion. And I feel like this episode's one of the more extreme examples I've seen of that uh, as we've been going throughout the series so far. So then... Then there's a scene which just made all of this make so much more sense to me. This whole time I'm walking, watching this episode, I'm just sitting here like, Why? There's a scene where Troy starts talking to Pulaski. And I just was like, oh my god. I want you, for those of you who've rewatched this recently, or are rewatching this with me, in which case that's awesome, that makes me happy. Um, Star Trek should be shared, it's an awesome thing. It should be re-enjoyed, damn it, we need more joy in our lives. Sorry. There's a scene, I didn't get a time stamp, it's after the 60-minute mark, where Pulaski and Troy talk, and I want you to think about or rewatch that scene. 
because that scene is everything wrong with this episode in one scene. It is Troy telling the audience via talking to Pulaski what's going on in Picard's head. And then Pulaski responds by telling Troy, that is to say the audience, what's going on in Picard's head. Both of them are informing us of what's going on. Even though both of them should be well aware of it, both of them may or may not should be should be talking about that. And this is the really killer part. This scene is utterly irrelevant because everything they say is accomplished in a much, much better scene that happens basically right after it. So again, if you're watching this or just rewatch this or whatever, remember the scene where Picard walks into the shuttle bay. And there's this credit to McCarthy on this one because he nailed this. There's this low, mournful French horn or something playing in the background, almost vaguely military. And Picard just walks in, looks at the shuttle, acts, because it's Patrick Stewart, turns and walks out. No dialogue. That right there communicates everything that, the t- that Troy and Pulaski were saying earlier without needing to be amateur, Right? In fact, I almost wouldn't be surprised if that scene was shoved in there to fill out the episode. You know, to fill out the scenes that were taken out of cue or something like that. Because it's literally just back-to-back. Here's what he's feeling. And then we see what he's feeling. That's why this is such a weird episode to comment on, because there are legitimately great moments in it. Uh, speaking of which, quick thing. I mentioned earlier, uh, just to continue an earlier point I mentioned... They talk about the reverse thing, and Jordy flat out says, you know, with the current settings, these should blow out the circuits, which of course makes me wonder why the earlier time when he did the opposite of that didn't blow out the circuits, but little nitpicks. But there's a big nitpick here, and this is why I feel they could have dragged out that mystery at least a little bit longer and done a little bit more with it. Because having them actually have difficulty opening the shuttle at all would have preserved the Picard essence of the mystery, the, you know, the second layer of the mystery, and allowed that to show up later on when it's more relevant for the events that happen later rather than just, oh my god, it's the shuttle, oh my god, it's the Picard. My opinion. They also could have done more stuff to, to establish that, like basically have them do stuff that should work and has the opposite effect and have them, you know, that's strange. You know, just little details to help build up that opposite part of the episode would have been a nice touch. Anyways, anyways. So then, <laughs> then there's another thing, and I know this sounds weird, but this, more than anything else, makes me think this is a Maurice Hurley episode. Because there's this scene with Picard and Riker chatting back and forth. Now this scene is also filler. Hear me out. The first part of the scene I'm okay with. First they talk about, okay, well, we can't do warp 10. <laughs> okay. Um, they mention how the shuttle has no warp drive which is eyebrow-raising. I know, I know. It is eyebrow-raising, but whatever. We'll get to it. And then he mentions both the Traveler and Mannheim. Both of those people are mentioned from previous episodes. And I mentioned, that's, I know that's a weird thing to call out for Maurice Hurley to be a thing, but he was always a very big proponent of continuity and actually trying to make this feel like not the Twilight Zone. It's, the, it's probably the one thing I really agree with the man on. And um, little details like that are the kind of things that you'll see peppered uh, throughout season two, actually. In fact, I've been calling them out little bit, little bits and pieces as we go. We just had one in Contagion, for example. It's a nice touch. Um, I also want to mention, really quick, 
the vortex is amazing. Like it, I remember when I saw it as a kid, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" And Mom's like, "Is that a black hole?" And both of us were like, "Whoa!" Even back in the day, that special effect was actually pretty awesome. So huge props to the effects department for both the actual effect, you know, the vortex, and then looking down the thing. Both of those really helped sell the severity of the scenes. But let me get back to that filler part. There's a part where Riker is telling Picard who he is as a character. Now, <laughs> that is amateurish writing. I'm sorry. It is. It's, it's, it is for the exact same reason it was earlier. It is telling, not showing. It is saying, Picard, you are such and such, and you are such and such, and you are such and such. And it's not like a vague inference. Like... I've actually had conversations in real life, and I actually imagine some of you might have as well with people that you know very well, or who know you very well, where it's like, I know you, you're not going to do this. And that's as far as that statement needs to go. You don't need to keep going and saying, I know you, you're not going to do this, because <clears throat> because during the 13th century, you found yourself out on a boat, which was being attacked by a tsunami, and ever since then, you found yourself determined to fight against the weather. But you don't have to explain to someone how they are. And, I've got one more point, in case you still don't buy this, the other reason it's filler is because the next scene, through showing, not telling, does the same, gives us the exact same point, and much better. It's the exact same thing that happened earlier, with the Pulaski-Troy thing. Because the next thing, which again, is great, is Picard is there, and he says, we should check this out for a bit. And then he just stalls for a second. And you could just see, I love Patrick Stewart, you could just see him like, unless... That was the mistake. Because now Picard is second-guessing himself. And even by season two, we, the audience, are pretty used to the idea that Picard is not someone who second-guesses himself. All of that turmoil, all of that emotional uncertainty, all of the impact that this situation, the other Picard, and the lack of knowledge of both the puzzle and the, and the solution, everything Riker said earlier, all of that is portrayed in that scene as he looks at this and he says, Maybe we should leave. Maybe and, and you could just see him second-guessing himself. Now, what's interesting is he second-guesses himself, but he does so in what I would actually call a proper manner. In other words, measure twice, cut once, to put this as simply as possible. He looks at the situation again, and he decides, well, this is a dangerous situation, and we might learn something else new here. But regardless of my own knowledge, I think we should go. And then he just kind of mans up a little bit and says, no, we should get out of here. That's Picard. That's everything Riker was saying earlier. I have something to look at. I know where to stand on this, you know. <laughs> and it's a good scene. It's a legitimately good scene. It's even tense when they go to warp and don't move. I remember sitting there as a kid, leaning up against the, the chair, because we're still there. We, we wouldn't move until season three, and we had to have a different watching the television situation. But I'm sitting there, leaning up the chair, I'm like, oh my god. Like, I remember sitting up straight, because they're going to warp, and they're not moving, and, and Picard's guessing, and oh god, what do we do, right? It was a good scene. God. And then, <laughs> I know I... I just want to mention one quick thing, just to prove that I can nitpick if I need to. At the 35-minute mark, Jordy says, oh, "I'm having to, the pole's getting worse, Captain. I'm going to have to put everything into this, but we're going to lose the engines after a few minutes. 
Then at 35 minutes and 52 seconds, he says, we need to leave, we need to shut down now. We're going to lose the engines now. And Picard says, nope. Then a bunch of stuff happens. And there's no, like, pauses. There's no, like, inferences. What happens is one-to-one. So every minute we see pass is a minute that's happening in character, if not more. So then at the 42-minute mark, almost seven minutes later, he's he's like, Jordy, take us in and give us all you've got. And they do so just fine, even though the engines should have shut out, you know, basically six minutes ago. And I point that out because you could argue that that's just Jordy exaggerating. But it feels more like the author trying to exaggerate tension, which is completely unnecessary, just for the sake of adding additional drama. And I've got another similar uh, circumstance to, sh- to lay at your feet to, to make my point here. O'Brien. Now, I love the actor who plays O'Brien, who I've just given up trying to pronounce his name. And <laughs> because I have literally half my fans telling me one, half my fans telling me the other, and there's no winning there, so I just gave up. Um, the guy who plays O'Brien, who is awesome, and I am a big fan of his, um, he shows up, and O'Brien shows up, and he shows up with Pulaski, even though he wasn't called to or asked to, and hasn't done anything with Pulaski the whole episode. Pulaski then detects that Picard 2 is dead, good scene, and then, and then she leaves. But O'Brien stays. Why does O'Brien stay? Can anyone answer me that? Trick question. The reason he stays is so that someone can witness the second shuttle and the second Picard vanishing to show that they have indeed solved the situation. There's no logical reason for that to happen under the circumstances unless we start stretching. Like, we can stretch it. We can stretch an answer there. But the reason O'Brien's there is so that he can have that line and that scene so we can inform them. That's my point about the Jordy thing as well. It's it's not there because it makes sense. It's not there because it's part of the logic or the understanding or well-written episode or whatever. It's there because I need this, therefore here. It's brute force writing, to put it as bluntly as possible. Now, I've done a little bit of complaining about this episode, but I want to finish on some positive parts. Even though I've actually technically talked past this, there's this wonderful bit where Picard, too, is starting to wig out and trying to get up, and Picard says, release him. Pulaski says, do you know what you're doing? And Picard, with total sincerity and absolutely no hesitation, says, no, release him. I like that. Because that is Picard overcoming his own hesitation, his own second-guessing, his own doubt, his own feelings, taking command and owning it. And that's frickin' Picard right there. There's an even better scene later on. He constantly is trying to get this additional information out of Picard, too. You know, going forward. Aha, that's the trick. I've got it. And then he kills him. For the longest time, it bothered me that he killed Picard, too, until I started to realize that that made perfect sense. At least it does to me. For the same reasons I've already listed. That is him taking command of a situation that he does not have the answer in. And despite uncertainty, owning up to it and owning his solution. He kills Picard II to ensure with absolute certainty that there is nothing Picard II can do to sabotage his efforts to save his ship and his crew. In that moment, that command decision was made without a single bit of hesitation. And I do like that. So... 
weird episode to talk about, as you might imagine. I hope you've enjoyed my discussions about it. Next week, we're going to watch what I like to call the forgettable episode. It's the one about Riker's father. And if you remember anything else about that episode, congratulations. Because I don't. (laughs) I'll see you next week, guys.